Hello and welcome to the podcast, UFO Warning. Today I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, a lot of the missing cases of folks that go missing in the national parks. Now, David Politis has done a lot of work on this, um, probably the leading authority. And George Knapp did probably one of the best short news reports that you could imagine on this subject. And it's really a kind of a disturbing uh, phenomenon that's occurred. Myself, uh, I would almost refer to these as abduction cases and not missing person cases because, yes, the people are missing, no doubt about it, but there are so many of them missing and the circumstances are so strange that they have all the hallmarks of an abduction. And in a few cases, uh, Politis goes into, you actually have individuals, usually small children, that uh, were abducted and then when they return, uh, they've got weird stories. A lot of them can't communicate that well, but they talk about things like large hairy people or robots. Um, doesn't make any sense. Now, when we take a look at this, there are some things that all these abduction cases seem to have in common. Number one, the person or individual, uh, typically they're with a group of people and they get separated from the group, sometimes by only a few feet. And then, uh, they suddenly vanish. For instance, there's a case I was looking at that uh, happened in uh, the Colorado River River in the Grand National uh, Grand Canyon National Park. Uh, the young man's name was Morgan Heimer, and this happened back in uh, June 2nd of 2015. So this is a 22-year-old young guy, physically fit. He's a river guide. He's on the river uh, with a group of people. And they described, the people with him described that he's at the edge of the river standing there. And another group of people that are with him, they're a little ways off and they're talking. And then they say, uh, we turned around and he vanished. He was gone. That's very classic case. They're standing there. This guy's maybe 10, 20 yards away, max. Um, they turn to talk to the group. They turn back around maybe a minute or two later. And the fellow's just gone. Now, the weird thing about this case was he went missing at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And they didn't report him missing until uh, 7.26 that evening. I, I don't know if they just didn't have any uh, cell phones, couldn't reach down there. Maybe they didn't have uh, radio communication. But this was on uh, a uh, regular official tour. So, I mean, this is a tour company. You would have thought they would have had some kind of communication device there in case one of the one of the customers got hurt going down the river. But uh, when you read the case, you find out that by the time they got around to reporting it, uh, they say it was dark, so they waited until the next day, and then uh, never found a trace, never found a clue, not a piece of clothing, nothing. The further you get into these cases, the more you realize, uh, the more strange the behavior by the National Park uh, Park systems becomes. Now keep in mind, this is a, a government agency that has a $2.6 billion budget. In fact, just this year, President Trump assigned another, I think, $11.5 billion to do infrastructure work. They have produced voluminous reports on the imaginary phenomenon of global warming, uh, telling us that our coastlines are going to be uh, you know, underwater, we need to all uh, build an ark. 
they have money to spend on everything imaginable, but they refuse to keep track of missing people. Now, I found one place where it did say that there is a missing person database available, but the National Park employees have uh, decided that it's just too cumbersome to use. This agency, it seems like it has a lot of the hallmarks of a dysfunctional agency. At one point uh, after the election, they were running a rogue National Park Twitter account where they were uh, basically just in, in complete insubordination, borderline insurrection against the new administration. They finally got that shut down. Just craziness. It's an agency that before uh, the new administration even took place, according to, I believe it was a Washington Examiner, you can find it out online, there was a poll given to National Park employees in which 39% had reported that they'd either been sexually harassed or discriminated against. Uh, it seems like, from what you read on it, that it has the makings of a toxic workplace. And that seems to carry over into their philosophy of not doing a whole lot to find missing people. Now, if you happen to go on to the National Park website, uh, they've got a nice little webpage there that will assure you that if you go missing, they will make every effort to find you. But after listening to Mr. Politis talk on Coast to Coast and various other programs and being rejected in his Pfizer request, it's almost, uh, or, excuse me, freedom of, freedom of information request, it's, it's uh, clear that they're stonewalling him. Some of these cases are really disturbing. Uh, Politis goes into the case of the little boy, his first name was Dennis, back in the 60s that went, that went missing in the Smoky Mountains. People reported a large, hairy creature carrying him off. Uh, this comes up over and over again. In the Smoky Mountains, there's a legend of the wild man. In fact, Politis uh, uh, says that a park a ranger confided in him that the national park system uh, has an epidemic of wild people that live in the park system uh, that go about uh, dressed in animal furs and that are beyond the control of the park system. This sounds like uh, like a far-fetched excuse for some kind of really strange paranormal activity. I mean, it seems a lot more likely to me that there would be a paranormal activity of the Bigfoot sense than to have colonies of wild people uh, dressed in animal furs populating our national park system. There's another case that um, was also very uh, concerning. It took place in a state park, and uh, I've got the link to that online. The fellow was an Iraq uh, veteran, he's a contractor over there. He comes back from the Iraq war. He's with his girlfriend. Um, doesn't sound like he's a combat veteran. He's like a computer guy doing work over there. Doesn't sound like he's got PTSD or anything else going on, but he was at the uh, at a state park in northern uh, Illinois, uh, Stranded Rock, I think it's called. Anyway, he describes how his girlfriend and him are walking uh, down one of the paths, and uh, he gets a strange sensation that somebody's uh, watching him. Uh, his girlfriend's walking in front of him, and he turns around and he notices a woman, uh, I don't know, 100, 200 yards away, and he keeps walking, and he turns around again, and suddenly she's within 20 or 30 feet of him. He, he says, he turns around and stares at her, 
And it was just such a surreal thing because her clothes looked like a uniform. He points out that uh, he was in uh, some kind of intelligence field and he had been trained to detect uh, anything uh, different about a person's face so that he could recognize faces. And he says that he looks at this woman and she just looks like a stereotypical uh, 50-some-year-old woman from Chicago. And shes it's almost as if um, she's been made to look this way. And that's the same kind of feel you get when people are describing the men in black. It's like they're human, but they're not human. It's as if somebody's trying to appear human, but because they can't get the look just right, they end up with something that's just a little off. It's almost like a synthetic creation. And he says that he stood there, he made eye contact with her, and really basically let her know, hey, I'm here, I'm aware of you. And then he says, he turned back toward his girlfriend, and he turns back and she's gone, she's disappeared. This theme reoccurs over and over and over in these type of missing person cases. It's as if these people are being abducted by some sort of paranormal phenomena, and this thing has to get the jump on you. It's as if it's as if, if you happen to face this thing head on and you deny it permission, if you look at this thing and you stand up to it, then all of a sudden it seems like it's not able to carry out what a kind of ever evil plan that it has. Whatever this thing is, whatever this phenomenon is, it's operating through deception. It's operating through uh, catching somebody by surprise. It's acting like a predator. And the scary part of it is, is that we have these missing person cases, somewhere between 1,000 and 1,600 at least that we found in the national parks. You can find that online because the national parks not keeping track of them. They refuse to keep track of these cases. They refuse to really offer any kind of help with the missing person cases. They don't want to deal with it. Which leaves us with the question, is a national park just trying to ignore the problem because it might cut into their uh, bottom line? Or are, the, or are the people at the very top in collusion with whatever it is that's doing these abductions? Because these are worse than missing people cases. Missing people get found. They get found whether they're dead or they turn up later. Uh, something very strange is going on. These are abductions. And there's one last case I want to talk about before I close the podcast. This is another strange one. And this is one that Polite has investigated. And you can look it up online. This happened... I believe back in the 80s, it was a young guy over in Michigan uh, near the Great Lakes, uh, Sandy area maybe. He was in a, like a, he was like in a, either a state or national park. He says he's going out skiing. So he takes off. They find his tracks. His tracks lead out. Now, there's, there's two versions. Either his tracks lead out onto the lake or near the lake. Either way, it's snowing. He has tracks. They lead out, and they disappear. It's snow you're going to leave tracks. It's clear that whatever happened with this guy, he's walking in the snow and something just lifted him up out of the snow. The tracks disappear. That's not normal. Okay, the guy's gone for like 15 months. Just disappears. He reappears. They find him, uh, or he finds himself in, a, I believe it's like a timbered forested area, 700 miles away. He's wearing clothes that don't belong to him. 
and he will not explain what's happened to him. Gets a hold of his daddy, finds him, and they try to interview the guy. The guy tells them that he doesn't have any psychological problems, but he, does, but he won't talk about what happened. Re refuses to say anything. Pilates actually tracks the guy down, finds out that he ends up uh, becoming like a certified psychoanalyst or something. He's out in Washington State. Still will not communicate, will not talk about it, will not say what happened. You have to ask yourself, was this guy been threatened? Was he somehow, you know, traumatized so much that he couldn't talk about it? But this, these, that's another uh, uh, overlying theme with these cases that in the rare instances where people are found alive, they do seem to either have missing time, missing memory, or a totally traumatized situation. But all the cases have the main underlying fact that you're getting very limited cooperation uh, from the national park system as far as facilitating a database or coming up with real honest uh, solutions to what what it is that is abducting these people and dealing honestly with the situation instead of just calling it a missing persons case. Very interesting cases. Got a lot of links online. And uh, I would encourage you to stop by and check them out. Until next time. Over and out, ufowarning.com.